Welcome to the Finley Capital Podcast, where we discuss real estate investing and the hard money lending process. Welcome back to the Finley Capital Podcast. My name is Logan Ricchetti. As always, this podcast is sponsored by the Hard Money Handbook. You can go to www.hardmoneyhandbook.com to download a free report to learn how to use hard money loans to finance your real estate deals. Also brought to you by the Facebook group Powered by Private. If you are a real estate investor or someone who wants to learn more about how to lend your own private capital, head over to the Facebook group Powered by Private to learn all about it. Today, I have a special guest with me, my friend who I've never actually met, but we have been doing business together for quite some time and she is incredibly talented. Her name is Bridget Hosey out of uh, Illinois, Chicago-ish, Indiana? Indiana. Indiana, yeah. I don't know. I've never met her. So Bridget and I have been doing a lot of business together for a couple of years and she has a very, very interesting approach to remote investing and real estate investing in general. I have learned a lot from her. And she has a lot to share regarding how to manage contractors remotely, how to manage projects remotely, how to um, how to create design choices that maximize the appeal of a renovation, which is something I admire very much about her because I'm very bad at it and she's very good at it. Um, she also has a lot of other ancillary businesses that she's vertically integrated into her operating model, such as a uh, cabinet company, I think, and some other other avenues that she can tell us all about. But anyway, Bridget, thanks for joining us on the show today and spending some time. I'm really excited to talk to you about your recent successes and also the trials and tribulations of remote investing. So thanks for coming. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. How long ago did you start doing remote investing? I know you have a background in photography and some other things, but where did real estate enter your journey? So, yeah, my background is in um, art, design, graphic design, photography. Um, so up until 2019, um, that's what I've been doing for 13 years. Um, never really saw myself doing anything else related to real estate. And it kind of fell into my lap um, originally based on me looking for a new uh, residence to live in for myself and finding a lot of houses that needed work. And so I was researching if I bought a house for myself, how would I get the funds to renovate it if it needed a lot of work? Um, I had always been interested in like interior design, but not necessarily as a career. Um, but once I started um, researching different ways of funding your own live-in flip, that led me to finding, you know, actually, you know, people that were talking about how to fund real estate deals. And uh, I found a mentor through that search and a course to learn how to flip houses and kind of just all snowballed from there. Um, and so I took that course and learned how to flip and it was specifically like he taught how to flip remotely. So that was like my first introduction to how to flip houses was specifically like, this is repeatable in any business, in any area, and you can do this from anywhere. And so having a mentor that taught me in that way, kind of from the get-go led me to believe like, this could be done from anywhere. I don't have to do it in my own local area. So um, that was the reason why I really started out flipping remotely versus local to me. I have a very similar trajectory from my investing history. I started investing remotely in the South Bend, Indiana market a couple of years ago, largely by necessity, just because where I live, there's not a lot of real estate investment opportunity. 
Um, and I always used to have that limiting belief that if it's, if it's not around here, you just can't do it. But the reality is once you learn how to invest remotely, if you can create a business plan and a model that works and you can follow it, the sky's really the limit and the, and the, the whole country opens up right away, which is really cool. Um, take, take us through the components that are involved just at a high level of doing a remote flip. Obviously you need financing and you need boots on the ground and you need contractors, but lay it out for us just real briefly how you approach a remote flip. Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, in the beginning, it was like, okay, who, who are my team members? Um, and, and so I would look for like realtors because that's, that was how I saw my connection to finding deals was like agents and wholesalers and the people that would be able to bring me leads. So I was focusing a lot on that when I first started out flipping in other markets. And um, I would say, of course, those are important, but like the more that I've gotten into it, the more that because the contractor piece of things has been the hardest, you know, part of it, I've now like, that would be my biggest piece of advice to people flipping remotely is to find your contractor first, because if you can't find people that you really feel are going to be able to take your rehab from start to finish, that's the biggest part of flipping a house. So like, yeah, you can have deals sent to you all day long that look great on paper, but they can go from a flip to a flop just because of the contractor. So um, I didn't put enough focus on that when I was first starting out. It was like the last thing that I would enter into the equation. I would find my deals and my agents and I would get all these deals under contract. And then I would be like, okay, now that I have this deal under contract, let me find a contractor to do the rehab. And so it was like the last piece of the puzzle. And now I just flip it to where if I'm going to be looking in a new market, I need to make sure that I have the contractor piece first. Then if I feel really comfortable with the team that I have there, including the contractor, then I start looking for deals in that market. That's a very interesting perspective. I never thought of it that way, but I think you're right. It doesn't matter how many deals you have in your pipeline. If you can't find a contractor or, or somebody on the ground to manage the bulk of that renovation, you're going to have a really, really hard time. And I think that's why most people are so hesitant to even think about remote investing is because they lose the control of being on the ground and, and on site all the time managing things. But you have shown and demonstrated as, as have a couple of other pals of mine that this can be done. I mean, you've done it professionally, you've done it successfully, and it's really can be done. You need to have a lender. So you need to have your capital source. You need to have agents on the ground that are bringing you deals and you need to have your contractor. So all three of those elements are important and you, you really need all of them because you can't do it without any of them. But I would have logically thought too that the contractor would be the last piece of the puzzle. But I think you're right. I think the contractor needs to be the first piece of the puzzle because so much of the success or failure of the transaction is in the hands of the of those people, that contractor, that those those vendors, because they're the ones that are managing and driving the work. They're the ones that are responsible for the work. And they're the ones ultimately, if they fail, your project fails, or at least it struggles or, or can be in, in jeopardy. And especially when you're doing a combination of remote investing and high leverage financing where you're, you know, borrowing capital at high interest. And then you're sometimes even borrowing capital to, to fund the gap of the down payment. What I've learned as the lender watching this is the whole deal is a race against the clock. Okay. The cost of capital every month marginally that you pay to renovate a deal remotely eats into the profit margin margin significantly. Significantly. So 
Yeah, I mean, it really does. And as the lender watching these remote projects happen, I'm rooting for you guys to finish quickly and finish on time. I want you to have success and then sell the deal and then come back and do another deal. That's what I want. I don't want you to have a struggle and go over and over and over. And then by the end of the deal, you're finishing the job just to pay off your bill. And there's almost nothing left at the end. That's a disappointment for everybody. In addition to just caring about you guys, I I want you to make money so you keep doing it over and over again. Um, But there's no doubt about it is the speed of the renovation is directly correlated to the profitability of the job, right? Right. So with that in mind, how have you what systems or tricks or tips do you have that you've implemented to manage the contractors remotely and, and try to find efficiency? And how do you do that? You specifically? Um, so there's been a couple of things. One is like first figuring out if the renovation that you're doing was going to require permits or not, because that's one element that also is going to add into the time frame, and it's going to limit the type of contractor that you can hire, because if you can hire somebody that isn't licensed, that's this big, like, oh, should we do that? Should we not? Like, do we need somebody that's licensed? And it's going to vary from state to state on how important that is. But I do think like, if it's a minor renovation, it's probably not that necessary to hire somebody licensed as long as of course you, you know, get references from those people and you're not just hiring Joe Schmo. But I think hiring somebody licensed is more difficult to find Um, especially in certain markets, like for instance, in Florida, I've learned like the licensing process to become a licensed general contractor in Florida is a lot more difficult and um, time consuming and just takes more um, time, skill, everything than it does in like Indiana. So there's not as many people that go through that process. There's a lot more licensed handymen and people like that in Florida just because it takes so long to get to that point of having the actual GC license. So it's, it's not super easy to find licensed contractors in Florida. Um, It's a little more easy to find them in Chicago and Indiana and whatever, but so it's different per state, but I think that's one of the key elements is to figure out, am I going to need a licensed contractor for this? Am I doing things that are going to require permits? Are they going to have to pull permits? Um, And all of that is part of the equation. Um, But also just in general, regardless of whether they're licensed or not, um, like getting references, if you found them on their on your own in some way, like whether you found them through um, searching on Facebook or Google or any of these other websites that are out there for finding contractors, um, ask them for references. But I do think just finding um, reviews in general is the best way to do it because of course, asking for three references, they're going to give you people that they know are going to say good things. So even that is a little bit um, tricky to trust just that. But if you can find enough reviews on them, I've I've tried to kind of just steer more towards people that have somewhat of an online presence. I mean, in this day and age, like contractors should have a Facebook page and a Google page and places that have the ability to put reviews on there. Um, so if they don't have any sort of like if you're trying to find out information about them and you just can't really find them anywhere or find any reviews on them. Usually I try to steer clear of those people just not because they're, they're bad, but because I just can't really find anything specifically positive about them from other people that have used them. Um, But the best way to really even find them to begin with, I feel like is asking other um, investors in the area and agents 
and people that are in that local area that would have direct experience with them from other flips. So just asking around, um, whether that be people you know or people in investing groups, local investing groups, um, just asking around and seeing, you know, who asking who have you used? Do you have any people that you've used for um, for your flips before. And then, then you have a direct, you know, referral from somebody and you know, that that person had a good experience with them. So that's probably the best way to do it. But, um, but it's tricky because it's, you know, sometimes you're going into a new market, you may not know a lot of people yet. So, um, you may be kind of going in blind to finding contractors. Um, and, I would just suggest joining local as many local Facebook groups as possible. So usually in almost every single market, there's a Facebook group for it. So South Bend, Michiana, real estate investors, Chicago, real estate investors, Florida, real estate investors, or whatever city in Florida, I've joined every group that I can and not necessarily even real estate investing groups, but even local groups, for instance, in um, one of my cities in Florida, I joined local groups um, the city's called New Smyrna Beach. So I joined every group that has to do with New Smyrna Beach in Florida. So these aren't real estate investors. They're just people that live in New Smyrna Beach. So I also join those groups and search um, for recommendations on people there or ask questions for people there because those are just residents of the area and they have probably lived there for years and know people and stuff. So just getting connected with the general, you know, um, community there is important in wherever you're investing. All right. So you, that's really interesting the way you, you go. I like that idea of going into groups that aren't necessarily real estate related because we have one in Midland called Ask Midland and that's where everything is promoted and referenced and reviewed. So that's a really good idea. I never even thought of that, but let's skip ahead to you've done your due diligence. You've found some references for some contractors that you've identified that you like, you've reached out to them. You've explained to them that you're in Indiana and they're in Florida and you want them to run your renovation in New Smyrna Beach. Do you create a scope of work and send it to them to bid or do you have them come to the house and create a scope of work and send it to you? How do you create a scope of work and a budget? And then how do you compare that scope of work slash budget with competing contractors? What is your system for managing that? So you're looking apples to apples at these quotes. I usually create my own scope of work at this point. In the beginning, um, when I was first starting out, I did rely on them and I ran into problems with that because it wasn't apples to apples. So, and I was also trusting them to know what I wanted done to the property. So I, you know, quickly learned like, and I thought it was good enough for them to be able to send them like photos of what the comps are, because of course I'm going to be going off, off of what the comps show, you know, this, I basically, that's what I do first is I, you know, pull the comps and I see what are the trends in that neighborhood? What do the comps look like? And I download those pictures, put them in a folder. And I say, this is basically what I want my end product to look like. And I thought that it was going to be sufficient for me to send those pictures to the contractor and them to create a scope of work off of that. But there's still so many different like things that they could miss or things that they don't know when it comes to materials or um, what level of materials are needed, you know, they could just quickly look through those pictures and, and not really catch on that, oh, I want like quartz countertops, or let's do tile showers, tile floors, everything like that. So it depends that level of renovation I want specifically spelled out for them. So I, you know, started doing that myself to where I get as specific as I can. 
I go through each um, phase of a rehab and I have basically a general blank template scope of work and I just go through it and kind of write out what is going to be needed and then detail out um, the specifics of if I'm going to add a better bedroom or a bathroom, I make sure to specify that. Um, I specify what materials I want to use because that's the biggest thing I think is not necessarily what's being done, but what materials are going to be used to do it. Um, that's the biggest thing that can range in price because you can use $2 a square foot vinyl plank, or you could use $8 square foot vinyl plank, or, you know, and you could apply that to pretty much any material in a house where there's such a range of prices. So I try to tell them what my general budget is going to be on a lot of those materials um, so that we're on the same page on what the budget is for those things. So I list out my scope of work pretty detailed and I give it to all the contractors that are going to bid on it so that I know they're being um, compared equally. Okay. And then once you get those bids back and you make a decision, you hire contractor number two, do you send them your contractor agreement or do you rely on theirs? And does your, does your contract uh, detail in writing or have any kind of structure or framework of expectations for dates of completion or milestones of completion that are linked to payment, penalty, bonus, anything like that? How do you handle that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I usually use my own contract unless they have a big problem with that. I did have that happen in Florida specifically where um, I was told and I do actually still I never really verified this, but I was told that they have a specific Florida contract that needs to be used um, per you know, Florida law. And it did, like I read through and it did seem like it was, you know, very specific to Florida law. So um, I said, okay, I'm fine with using that as long as we do add, these are the important parts of my contract that I need added as an addendum to your contract. So he agreed to that and we added that in. And one of those most important things that are a part of my contract is the deadlines of completion. So I make sure that that is in every contract, no matter what. Um, and also that like the permits, if there are permits that need to be pulled, I make sure to put that in the verbiage that they're responsible for pulling those permits, getting all the inspections, passing all the inspections. Like I'm not going to end up at the end of a project without a permitted, you know, project if it was supposed to be permitted. So um, I make sure to put that in. But then when it comes to penalties and bonuses, I do have a per day penalty um, so every date past the completion date, they're basically paying my holding costs. Um, now implementing that is a whole different thing because if we get to the end of the project and they're like not in the picture anymore because they just walked off the job, then it's kind of hard to be like, okay, your final payment is deducted per day because they're just gone anyway. So there's times where it gets a little bit difficult to actually uphold that, but it should always be in the contract no matter what. But yeah, I do have the per day um, penalty. And I do try to put in a bonus as well. Although contractors never get done early, it's always good to put that in there so that it feels like there's an equal, you know, like, hey, if you finish early, you're getting money. If you finish late, I'm deducting money. And I explain the reason in the verbiage. I explain the reason is because I do have holding costs. It's not just I'm trying to just hold you to a completion date just because it's because I'm paying money every day. So um, there's liquidated damages um, in there. So they're responsible for those damages, basically, that are the cost that I'm incurring. 
they're going to incur it if it goes past a certain date. All right, a couple minutes left. Let's do some rapid fire. Quick questions, quick answers. All right. What's your, <laughs> you ready? Get ready. What's your favorite part about remote investing? The, um, the feeling of seeing like the completion of a project when, and, I, and I've had my hands on every part of that project, but not physically. Like I took that project from start to finish and it feels like an accomplishment, an even bigger accomplishment when I was able to do it from a distance. Feels like a little bit more like power. <laughs> <laughs> I can say myself having done this with a partner, obviously, but having purchased, renovated, and then sold a property that I had never stepped foot in, that I never touched, that I never actually saw with my own eyes. It, it's a very empowering feeling. It's a very interesting feeling. It changes your perception of what real estate really is. Real estate really is just buying and selling paper, signing your name on paper. When you buy a house, what are you really doing? You're signing documents that say you own it. Then you're paying money to renovate it. And then you're selling it and you're signing another document that you no longer own it. It's, 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 it's an illusion. It's a mirage. It's, but it's very interesting to use your brain, your brain power to generate yeah. value. Through, that's you know, the power that I, yeah. That's the yeah. power I'm talking about where it feels like powerful because like, Hey, I use my, I use my brain only to like do that. <laughs> Yes. I love, you know, I love sweeping the garage because you can see it when it's done, how clean it is. And that's using your, you know, your body to add, to, to, to do something. But I love using my mind to generate value and, and earn money and do things like that. I think there's nothing more exciting to me anyway. And to you, it sounds like than using your brain power to create value. That's pretty neat. So remote investing, I think is for that reason is awesome. Okay. What's your least favorite part about remote investing? Least favorite part is definitely trying to manage in the, in the thick of it, trying to manage people that you're, they don't feel they have a physical connection with you. So it's a little bit harder for them to think of you as a real person. That's like, you know, forcing them to uphold their end of a deal, you know? So they're like, oh, they're just, you know, in another state, like they're not going to know that I didn't show up today or, you know, things like that. So it's that, you know, basically holding people to their agreements when you're not there. That's the the most difficult part. And it's the most frustrating part, I think, at times. If you were going to start over today, or if you were going to advise somebody starting over that wants to do remote investing, what advice would you give them? I would just say you can do it. Don't like, like you said in the beginning, this is doable. Like it's difficult. There's obstacles. Um, but the, the biggest piece of it is mindset. So getting over that feeling of like, oh, it's not even doable. I need to stay in my local market. And there's a lot of people that if they had that mindset, they're never going to get into real estate investing. Because like you said, there's a lot of people that live in places that they're not going to find any deals. So they're going to need to expand their mindset. So just working on that aspect of knowing what your capabilities are, um, that is the biggest piece like uh, of advice that I would have is work on knowing what your capabilities are and expanding your knowledge of, you know, what, what you can do, where you can do it, how you can do it. Like the whole structure of it is um, pretty much limitless. So getting over that hump of thinking, 
in a limited mindset of, I can only do it here. I can't find a deal. There's some people that wait years to get into it and they just keep looking around and trying to analyze deals local to them because they think that's their only option. Um, you know, definitely be prepared and do your research and get your team together. And like I said, make sure you have a good contractor. All of that stuff is super important to do um, prior to just randomly buying a house somewhere else. Um, that can get that can get risky. It's definitely more risky, I feel like, especially if you just don't do you don't line up a good team first. It, it can incur more risks than it would if you were local. But if you do the proper steps prior, um, then it's 100% doable and it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it at the end. So what is your Instagram handle? I can't remember. Bridget Elise. Is it the underscore? Uh, no underscore. All one, okay. all one word. So B-R-I-D-G-E-T-E-L-Y-S-E. Anybody who's interested in remote investing should go follow Bridget because she lays it out there on her Instagram, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I really, really enjoy your transparency on your Instagram and your vulnerability on your Instagram. I read your stories and I follow your stories all the time. I hope you know that. Um, and I really very much admire the way that you put it all out there. You don't just sugarcoat it and make it look like it's all, you know, rainbows and butterflies because it's not. And sometimes, you know, for example, when you made your story about how you ran out of hardwood flooring, a couple square feet of flooring to finish a job and you went all over God's green earth to find, you know, some vendor that would call some supplier who would call some distributor and you found it and you solved that problem. And I admire watching the way that you specifically tackle these problems and solve these problems. And then you share those with us. So we get to watch the struggles and the triumphs on your media. So, uh, anybody who's interested in this, check out at Bridget Elise on Instagram and give her a follow because she does a beautiful job. And, uh, she probably has, you guys have a lot to learn from her just like I do. So thank you for sharing your insights today. I really have been looking forward to talking with you like this for a while. So thanks a lot. Thank you, Logan. I appreciate it. All right. Go get him. All right. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Finley Capital Podcast. Please like and share this episode. Help us grow our following so we can help more hard money loan borrowers and investors like you. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Finley Capital. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. We'll see you out there.